0: Sometimes things seem to get through and other times they don't. It's almost as if certain pathways in the brain spark alive for a few seconds or a few minutes and and then kind of wink out again. Hi, I'm Bobby,
1: And I'm her husband, Mike.
0: And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years, and since then I've become a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator.
1: And I was a secondary caregiver for my father, and since that time I've become a certified caregiver advocate. Here we're going to focus on the caregiver. We're going to offer our practical insights and share some emotional support. Maybe. We'll even share a few laughs along the way because we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine.
0: And don't forget the wine.
1: Oh, no, can't forget the wine.
0: So, Mike, do you remember when your dad, Roger, moved into our house?
1: I do, and I remember all the turmoil that was going on. Um, We were moving out of our townhouse and packing to move into temporary quarters while our house was being built, and at that time, my mom passed away in Pittsburgh while we were living in Virginia. And so I had to go and we had to take care of the whole funeral arrangements and everything for my mom. And in doing that, that put us way behind the power curve for packing. But at the same time, we uprooted my dad and brought him to our townhouse for a week and a half. And then we moved him from our townhouse into an apartment apartment that we were renting. And then three and a half months later, we moved him from the apartment into our house after it was finished being built. So yeah, I remember all the turmoil and I remember getting him into the house and getting him or working to get him acclimated to a new town and a new house and new personalities.
0: I thought originally that he did amazingly well. He lost his wife of over 40 years Got moved twice, and seemed to be settling in really well. Little did we know how much our life was about to change.
1: Yes, and boy, did it ever change!
0: It changed in in many ways, and one of the most important ones now is it brought us to doing what we what we do now and why we're here. And that brings us to today's guest. He lives in Percival, Virginia. He'd been a long-distance caregiver for his parents, Harold and Junie, who lived in Ohio. And he's now the full-time caregiver for his lovely wife, Cindy. Please welcome to our show, Bill Ralston.
1: Hi, Bill. Hi. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. And Bobby?
0: Um, I am so pleased to have you on the show. And I know that our listeners will learn a lot from you you know, having known you for the last couple of years and and heard some of the things that you've shared about your caregiving experience, um, I know that there's going to be a lot of value uh, listening to you today. So tell us a little bit about how you got started as a caregiver. I guess first it was for your parents. That was your first um, introduction into the caregiving world.
2: Yes, Bobby, it, it was. And in fact, um, and, and we've discussed this. I never even thought of myself as a caregiver for a long time. and uh, but, but it slowly creeps up on you, and all of a sudden you realize you are indeed a caretaker. Yeah. So my, my mother and father, my mother uh, had a um, vascular dementia. And my father, at about the same time, was uh, diagnosed with a stage 3 uh, lung cancer. So he was about 89 years old and mother was in her mid-80s. mid, mid 80s And, um, you know, she began having some problems and it eventually ended up in a rehab facility because she was falling down quite often. Uh, and um, she never left that rehab. I mean, she... She never got up and started walking in that rehab facility. So eventually, we had to find then another retirement area for her, and uh, and eventually had to find one for my father too, as he went through his chemotherapy stages. So I was in San Diego; they were in Dayton, Ohio, and I more or less had to manage it from long distance, uh, other than making some trips in about every four to six weeks. Um, but I did find some people that could come in and help. Uh, either one of them or help both of them in in these times. So it it was a long-distance relationship.
1: So not only was it long-distance, but you also had to deal with time changes too and remembering what time it was at any given point at any given place, right? Uh,
2: Exactly. In fact, the uh, the people at the nursing home uh, were the ones that forgot it the most. So I got a lot of phone calls out (laughs) in San Diego at 4.30 in the morning as the shifts were changing. Uh, to tell me that uh, uh, my mother or my father had fallen out of bed. And I said, are they okay? Yes, they're okay. We just needed to call you. Said, Good, not you have waited a little longer? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got a lot of those. Um, luckily, I had uh, a couple cousins that lived in the area so they could drop in, and an aunt and an uncle, uh, uh, the aunt being my, my mother's sister. So she did have some company there, but she was uh, she was never really happy. Uh, once the, she was outside of the home. She just always wanted to go back.
0: Oh, that happens yeah. a lot. We we hear from caregivers all the time that the per- person that they're caring for wants to go home. And sometimes it's a place from their past. Sometimes it's a place that they just recently left. And sometimes it's just a feeling of, I don't feel secure here. Um, and so it 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 it's often raised in the caregiving world that they want to go home but especially if they if they are in a care facility like your mom was so as you were caregiving from long distance and coordinating with other family members um i imagine you had to be the decision maker
2: yes yes uh, i had to uh, uh dad wasn't in in the uh, so so to speak in the mood uh you know uh, having to take chemotherapy and trying to survive uh chemotherapy Uh, certainly
1: understandable
2: oh he was down and out so you know i had to find nurses to come to the house uh when he was still at the house to uh to watch him you know take his temperatures and those kinds of things after the chemo started Uh, and uh, he was just basically kind of done um uh he he turned over all the finances to me so you know i had to pay all the bills uh, make sure that they got paid and uh you know, the prescriptions for mom at the nursing home and, and so forth. So, um, Sticking
1: with that for a second, so have had you had discussions previously about um, who would take care of what and how would it be taken care of, like from the finances, powers of attorneys, things of that sort?
2: Yeah, in a certain sense, Mike, yeah, we did. And luckily, my mom and dad, uh, from my father's standpoint, uh, they got together with uh, some trust attorneys. And uh, started planning what was going on. In fact, they they even uh, bought cemetery plots and had their tombstones made well well ahead of time, which I found a little disturbing. But that, that's what they wanted. And um, uh, but yeah, we did that. Um, and when mom was in the nursing home and dad had been diagnosed with with cancer, I mean, we made the trip to the funeral home to pick out um. Uh, coffins, and uh, what kind of blue cards were going to be there. And after we got done doing both of their uh, funeral arrangements, uh, mothers came up to be $25 more than dads, <laughs> for some reason. And he laughed, he said, she's going to be happy that she got the more expensive plant. <laughs> uh,
0: well, we actually did that with, with Roger about a year out from the time that he actually died. And that kind of came about because when Mike's mom died, there was nothing in place. And he was was dealing with grief and um, having to make all of those arrangements on the fly. And Roger was a very practical man and he he felt comfortable with the fact that we were making these arrangements ahead of time, but I have to tell you that was a real dark day for us, the day we went to the funeral home and we picked out a casket and and we made all of those arrangements and 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 you know, put a put a down payment on it. It it just felt really creepy and sad.
2: Mm, yeah. So Mike, going back to part of you, the one part of your question there in terms of discussing it, so they had a uh, they had made out a trust and of course they had powers of attorney so on and so forth and okay, I had good. been named in those. So everything was pretty much ready to go when I had to take that over. So that made it a whole lot easier. They they took me to the bank, introduced me to the bankers, and right. luckily enough, all I had to do was make a phone call to the bankers to have money moved around and stuff. And so it. Uh, it made it a lot easier than had they not done that.
0: It was a real gift for you.
2: Yes, it was. Well, I remember when um,
1: my dad came to live with us, he was extremely adamant about getting powers of attorney in place and doing the medical directives and and those type of things, the uh, do not resuscitate, because he went through um, the issues with my grandmother where she had money set aside, but he wasn't on any of the bank accounts and didn't have a power of attorney. So he Um, didn't want that to happen to me. So he was extremely adamant and bugged me about 17 times a day for three days until we actually got that done. And I got to tell you, doing that and also ahead of time making the arrangements was really, really a godsend on the day uh, that he passed because it was one phone call. Not twenty-five phone calls. So that was that was really. I didn't know the gift at that point.
2: Yes, yes, and the uh, you know the power of attorney obviously uh, comes to a halt when they pass away. So you know there, there are additional things that need to be done right. too that makes makes your life easier, and that's and so those were were helpful to me too.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned that the power of attorney goes away upon the person's death because a lot of people in the caregiving world don't understand that. Right. And they don't understand the limits on it either, that power of attorney over somebody's finances means that you can use the money for their benefit. Um, And sometimes, you know, people take liberties Liberties. (laughs) uh, that are not ethical or even legal. So I'm glad you mentioned that.
2: Yes, that, that does happen.
0: So how long did you, were you the caregiver for your parents before you became a caregiver for Cindy?
2: So I was caregiver for um, my parents for about two years, from about uh, 2011, 2012, up until um, the end of July in 2013. And then Cindy was diagnosed with a dementia in August of 2013. So I didn't have a really big break there.
0: No, you absolutely didn't. And Cindy has a type of dementia that's that's not well known. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. It's it's not a very common type of dementia. It's called a frontotemporal dementia, and it's uh, it affects the temporal lobe and and the frontal lobe of the brain. It's it's not an Alzheimer's disease, uh, and these lobes start to to shrink or atrophy. Um, there are a couple different sub variants of it, but you know it is... The three of them have very similar types of behavioral changes. There's a loss of empathy, um, you know, just not feeling sorry for someone that's having a bad time. You know, that that goes, you know, and Cindy was a very lovable person. And to see those kinds of things go, of course, there's a lack of judgment and and inhibition. Um, Compulsive behavior, repetitive compulsive. I I remember her uh, telling us there was a story about the, the dog, her dog that she told and told and told. And she would tell everybody in every grocery store about this story. And in the midst, and of course, the other thing that happens with the particular variant she has uh, is that she loses or has lost the ability to to recall and understand words. Started off with nouns and then it went to, you know, pronouns and and sentence structure and so forth. Uh, She got to a point here, you know, as of the last year or so, where she could not speak in a full sentence. Wow. But when she would tell the story about the dog, it was a well-rehearsed story, and they were complete sentences, and she did it with animated hands—you know, throwing hmm. her hands up in the air. Oh, so she spoke <laughs> Italian, huh?
1: Just about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And now she speaks aphasia, um, but uh, um, yeah. She, so she would tell that, and but she has since stopped uh, telling that story, uh, and. Uh, But those are the kind of repetitive things she would do, and now you know she'll whisper little things that are going on, you know, like ouch, 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 ouch. When she's not hurting at all, she just it just comes to her mind. Yeah, and of course, then there are changes in eating habits, and uh, and uh, that are common for this, and that's a love for sweets and carbohydrates. And uh, to attest to that story, she and, and the caretaker, when we went to the Hair Salon one time uh, got into a wrestling match over a, a formal glass plate of cupcakes,
1: and they were both <laughs>
2: down on their knees on the floor trying to grab the – Cindy was trying to grab the cupcakes, and the, and the little caretaker was trying to protect the, uh, the, so, uh, the cake holder from breaking. So were they good cupcakes? <laughs> i guess they were <laughs> last time i took her there i, I sent him a note ahead of time hide the cupcakes and sure enough they were not out
0: <laughs> but she she's absolutely beautiful and and absolutely charming but i i know that you have your hands full it must be so difficult to try and communicate with somebody who doesn't have words how do you figure that out
2: <laughs> yes it, it is indeed hard um there are some words that she understands, and I think part of that is due to the repetition, the, the number of times that I tell her the words. But other than that, sometimes you just have to use hand signals. It's, you know, brushing your teeth. So you put your finger up by your teeth and run it up and down or brush your hair, pretend like you're brushing your hair or go to potty, kind of grab yourself and say <laughs> potty. And um, the embarrassing part is when she's outside and other people are around. <laughs> So that's basically how I can communicate with her. Sometimes she will understand a little better if I write something simple down on a piece of paper and she'll look at that. And, and amazingly enough, she will eventually understand what is written there or the, or the context of it. That's very interesting. So many times it's uh, one of the difficulties here is that when something occurs, when I try to communicate to her something. I don't know whether it is that she doesn't understand the uh, uh, the content, you know, that she doesn't understand the principle of it, um, or she just didn't understand the words. So therefore, she doesn't understand what i said whatsoever. It's got to be crazy difficult. And every every once in a while, I mean, it's really surprising. I, I told her to do something or not to do something. Next thing I know, she's done it. Um, so she somehow she understood the context of it, but uh, that doesn't happen all the time
0: well it's it's an interesting phenomenon that often occurs in the various dimensions that sometimes things seem to get through, and other times they don't. It's almost as if certain pathways in the brain spark alive for a few seconds or a few minutes and and then kind of wink out again um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you talk about you know she says ouch, ouch, ouch. There are so many different words that somebody with dementia might get stuck on. Um, Again, that's real interesting. Somebody might ask, what time is it? Every few seconds. Or um, as we recently learned, say, I love you every few minutes, which I think is is definitely a good thing to have stuck in your brain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, as a male caregiver taking care of his wife i imagine that your experiences were a good bit different than than we had with taking care of mike's dad even though i was a female taking care of a male um, i think it's easier for us to for women to step into that role so tell tell me a little bit about um some of the challenges that you've faced in in taking care of her
2: well it, yes i've had a few of those i mean um, one that um that came up a while back, and luckily, with, so we do have a caretaker for uh, for Cindy coming in to help a couple of days a week. This young woman, and um, and she's very she's very good at at talking about anything and everything. And uh, so we eventually one day picked up the potential that Cindy had a uh, urinary tract infection, and uh, I would have never picked up on that because these don't always cause pain. Uh, in 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 folks that are older than they do in some of the younger folks, especially the younger women. So um, she just picked up on it, and in terms of odor and so on and so forth. And um, whether she did or didn't, or urinary uh, frequency and urinating, uh, got her some over-the-counter uh, uh, med. Right. It wasn't a medicine, but just a, this uh, compound, and uh, took it for a few days as as uh, suggested, and everything went away. So that was good.
0: Oh, it's interesting that you mentioned the urinary tract infections because they're very, very common with dementia, both males and females. And you're right, it doesn't manifest in pain, but it can manifest in some very aggressive changes in behavior. Um, a lot of times that's that's the first clue that somebody has a urinary tract infection with somebody with dementia is when their behavior changes radically very quickly. Did that happen in your case?
2: Um- I didn't detect any change in her behavior other than uh, the frequency of the urination uh, increased. And in, in after mention, the urine did have an odor to it. Uh, but uh, it must not have been too, too much of an infection because it went away with this over the counter.
0: Good. Yeah, you got uh, on top of it really quick and, and got it out of her system because it can be, it can be very dangerous in somebody with dementia.
1: So, so you're, oh, yeah you're uh uh, hired caregiver is uh, keeper, huh? She, she sure is. I don't think I'll <laughs> be able to, but
2: uh, <laughs> but she's she's been extremely helpful, and and and, and uh, you know it's one of those things that uh, I decided after watching and, and and learning more about how my father was taking care of my mother, uh, not realizing. I mean, he never never complained. He never told me all the things he had to do for her uh, before. You know, she finally went into a facility. But I decided I wasn't going to get to that point where I was going to drive myself nuts. And uh, so I did, you know, look around for a person to come in part time um, about last January. And I luckily found someone. So it's very helpful. I can then do some of the other work that I need to do. Uh, It gives me a chance to breathe. I don't have to make a meal on, uh, on command. Uh, Cindy lets me know when I can make her a meal, you can make my lunch <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> 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 or when i I pick her up from the day center adult day center, she'll tell me you can you can do it at five thirty or six o'clock, and I know she means I can make her dinner five thirty or six o'clock.
0: so you're taking advantage of the resources in your community to to help you and and not trying to do this all on your own and i'm and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of caregivers who come into this suddenly don't even know that these resources are available and become absolutely overwhelmed with the day-to-day. And um, the fact that you've been able to find these resources and caregiver support group on top of that. Yes. So I- I'm glad you brought those up so people don't feel like they have to do it alone.
1: Mm. Just as an aside, Bill, um, what what did you do um, to find the different community resources?
2: Well, it's I mean this particular one just happened to be by word of mouth, which you know um, give credit to that. Um, I was telling a neighbor about it, and uh, she says, "Well, I've got two daughters that do that kind of thing." So, so that made that one easy. But prior to that, um, Loudoun County has a, a center of, of, for um, aging. And they have a, a list of caretakers there that you can then uh, in turn contact them directly uh, also on the websites, there are uh, names of companies, you know agencies out there right. that have caretaking of all sorts. I mean it's a caretaking um, can be just um, something that uh, provides companionship right or it can provide companionship. And also uh some personal care. Yes. You know, helping in bathing and helping in meals and lighthouse cleaning and things like that.
0: And most communities have an area on aging where people, no matter where they are, um, since our listeners are all across the country and, and internationally, it's it's good to let them know that they can look for those resources.
2: Yes. Yeah. Now, Bobby, I'm going to go back to the question you had before in terms of taking care of a woman versus a man. Sure. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's strange how much a man doesn't know about a woman. <laughs>
0: huh. I don't think women are surprised about that.
2: No, I, I resemble are, that. <laughs> <laughs> so the other one, which was um, it made me feel really kind of bad, uh, I had noticed that on the sides of her breast, I, I could see you know, these red marks, and it, and it struck me that was her bra and um, that was digging into her. And, uh, you know, thinking about she's gained quite a bit of weight in, in wanting and desiring all these sweets. And um, so she was still wearing the same little bra that she had been wearing before, before she gained all of the weight. So I had to, uh, I had to go a line and figure out how to, my bra, <laughs> <laughs> and how to take take my, you know, my wag uh, guess on, on what what uh, what size I was gonna get, what kind do I get? There are all kinds out there. I don't know how women make up their mind on. Them. Know, so you're right? a little
0: older and buying your first bra than most of us.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like a schoolgirl waiting for that thing to show up in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, you know, but it's things like that, that, um, you know, you just, you take for granted. So, so Uh, I have
1: to ask, how did you do?
2: I did really well. All right. (laughs) All right. Not only that, she liked them so (laughs) much. There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, um, and there are all kinds of other things, you know, it's like looking for clothing, you know, what size, and, and we men, we get, a lot of times we go out and we we buy a shirt, right? Mm-hmm. That's all you need, just a shirt. That's it. And you you don't know if it's going to match anything you got in the closet or not. But, but buy it's a shirt. cool shirt.
0: <laughs> it's a cool shirt.
2: You like the shirt. And right. and for women's clothing, you almost have to buy outfits.
0: Absolutely. No.
2: You know, and because I get home and I can't find anything that matched, or does it fit, or something like that, and so that's. Uh, and then and then and then ending up going into the. Changing room. Uh, now that's especially a women's changing room. You can learn a lot that you never want to hear again uh, <laughs> from, the other, from the other stalls. <laughs> so, so anymore now. I take I, I take Kendra, the caretaker, with me. She goes in and deals with. It. Oh, that's
0: so. What was. Shocking in
2: there, I, I have to ask. <laughs> Sometimes these groups of women get together and they've got like four people in one dressing room. Oh, yeah, room. absolutely. And then they start talking about intimate matters. They don't know that there's another man in there. <laughs> Not afraid to let them know.
0: <laughs> so there's benefits to be to being a male caregiver also.
2: Potentially. <laughs>
0: Um, one story that you have that I think a lot of people will learn from, um, when it comes to driving in dementia, because that is such a dangerous thing and getting somebody's driver's license away from them can be such a difficult process. And you have a rather unique story. Uh, and I would love it if you would share it with our listeners. So
2: we moved from San Diego out to Virginia. Here. When she was in San Diego, she had to be reevaluated to drive by the California DMV when she was first diagnosed with a dementia. And she pretty much passed with flying colors once they gave her the special test that she didn't have to know all of the words. She just had to know what to do when you see a sign or what have you, you know, in terms of a written exam. So she was fine there. We moved here and. um And she drove a little bit while we were here, Uh, and the one thing that happened is that she she got uh, obsessed one night, which is another pattern, another property of of this particular disease. It becomes obsessive-compulsive, and she just had to go to her father's house uh, in Round Hill just just a couple miles away to get uh, some scales. So she drives over there. It's close to Christmas, so it gets dark early. I'm uh, sitting at a table in the dining room, and there's this rude knock at the door, and it's the police. Those kind of knocks, and I and I thought, oh my gosh, somebody's hurt. Her. You know, she's hurt, and she wasn't. And he explained that uh, she had been driving without her lights on. And upon further questioning, she knew her lights weren't on when she had left her dad's house. She didn't know how to turn them on because they'd always been on automatic, and and so that was kind of understandable. But instead of going back, her rationale was she was just going to use her blinkers and wait until she got home and ask me how to turn the lights on. (laughs) Okay, so she made it about halfway here, and there was a. And luckily, there was a police officer at the little Seven Eleven, and he saw that uh, the light were lights weren't on in the car, so he starts after her. Now she realizes that there's a police car behind her. The lights going, and eventually he turns his siren on, and uh, so she uh, just uh, slows down a little bit, and she rolls down the window, and she's waving him around her. Go ahead, and pass. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, you got it. Go ahead, pass. Well, he wasn't about to pass her, and um, and there wasn't really much of a place to turn off until she got to the drive to the subdivision. By that time, he'd called for backup, and he's behind her, and oh, those guys had their guns pulled. They didn't know who this was in this car and why they wouldn't stop. And so um, luckily, one of the officers that showed up had been trained in how to work with folks that are either on drugs or have dementia, have memory impairment. And he and he detected she probably had the latter, the memory impairment. And uh, so I confirmed that for him when it came to the door. So, yeah, we and, and so uh, got a very quick letter from the uh, Virginia DMV saying that uh, she was not to drive anymore. Uh, she was to go to the doctor's office and get something signed by the doctor that said that he thought she was capable of driving. And then she had to go take the driving test. And luckily, uh, she didn't pass the written test because she didn't know what the words were.
0: Wow. And thank goodness...
1: So so the DMV ended up being the bad guys, and I, I have no problem with them being bad yep.
2: guys. <laughs> no, not, not with that. It, it, it was three trips to well, the DMV. Oh, good though. Lord. So, and I was afraid she was oh, going to pass. <laughs> wow,
1: that is a great story.
0: And, and again, such an important story because um, sometimes doctors will tell people that the person with dementia can continue driving and it's not only dangerous for them and it's not only dangerous for other people on the road. But it can also affect um, your finances, because if you know somebody who has dementia and you're allowing them to drive and there's an accident, depending on where you live and the laws where you are, you could be held responsible and could be sued. So it's, it's real important to talk about these issues um, like this with caregivers and share that information. Bill, we want to thank you so much for being part of the show today and, and sharing your unique story about caregiving. You know, having spent uh, the last couple of years talking with you about caregiving issues with some other people, it's been valuable to me and, uh, and all of the other people in the groups that, w- that we uh, associate with. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bobby and Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Mike, imagine having to uh, take care of your father long distance.
1: I, I can't even fathom doing that with him. Hearing from caregivers like Bill... Um, just puts it in perspective that caregiving really is not location specific. It could be elsewhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be right there. And I think that's one of the takeaways that we can get from uh, talking with Bill. And he also pointed out the estate planning and how important that was to his journey doing the um, caregiving. And we came across a new, newer form of dementia that our listeners probably were not aware of.
0: When you mention caregiving not being location specific, it, it doesn't necessarily mean long distance caregiving either, because when you reach a point where you can no longer care for the person at home and they ha- and they need to go into a facility. True true, um, true, true, true. It can cause some some guilt and and some real angst, but it's actually making the hard decision to make sure that they get the best possible care. You
1: know, it's it's always amazing to me exactly how many different types of dementia that there are.
0: Very often I hear the question, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? And actually, dementia is a umbrella term for a number of dementias, including Alzheimer's, Lewy body disease, the frontal lobe that Bill was just talking about. there's vascular dementia, there's Huntington's disease, there's about 60 different types of dementia. And sometimes determining which type it is will give you clues and how to address the issues. But by and large, a lot of the behaviors are exactly the same. So regardless of what type of dementia the person that you're caring for uh, might have, listening to these podcasts and these people that we are privileged to have share their stories with you, can be very helpful regardless of what type of dementia that it is. Right. This has been Roger That. And I'm Bobby,
1: And I'm Mike.
0: And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia.
1: So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review. Reviews are very important. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help you. Or if you have a question you'd like for us to address, or if you'd just like to say hi. Now, to find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head on over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website, or go to hearingcharities.org.
0: Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.